my background background is yeah like I design and engineering but I'm talking like Dreamweaver 1 sure and uh and you know Photoshop uh, very early as well so Dreamweaver Dreamweaver Just wanted to shout that win. out and nope. then, <laughs> no one, there's no other podcast where anyone has <laughs> no shouted out. I, I, I saw your library. I'm sure you got a couple of the manuals <laughs> we in do. your library. We, we like to keep it, we keep it fresh. <laughs> no one. <laughs> Rich. Paul. We're in a kind of unusual industry, right? Because we're the creative somewhat mercenary people that are on your side. Okay, that's not a good sell. I mean, it's but tricky, <laughs> right? No, I mean, we deal with this every week. We talk about it. But I mean, it's we're a, a firm that people hire to do digital things. Absolutely. And a couple years ago, I read an article online okay. on the internet, and it, it coined the term digital product studio. Right. I saw that, and I'm like, that'll do. Let's take that. Yeah. So long story short, the person who sort of put that piece together, coined that term, or probably collaboratively coined that term, is named Jules Earhart. Okay. And he's here today. Is he? So Rich, it's it's good to have Jules Earhart here in the studio, a very astute observer of our industry and of the way that things are changing around how startups get built and people deliver services, all that stuff. Yeah. So we'll, we'll zero it in. I've done a terrible job introducing him. Jules, welcome. Thank you. Pleasure welcome, to be Jules. here. Pleasure. So you were formerly at a firm called Us Two. That's correct. And, yeah. And what was your job there? So I joined Us Two about nine years ago. Uh, it was my first ever job, funnily enough. I'd, I'd always worked for myself, but I borrowed a desk and eventually I became an owner there. Okay. Uh, after, after a couple of years. So my, my job at Us Two is in essence, the business of creativity. Okay, we, we're going to have to unpack that for quite a while. Uh, take a step back. What was your home base? Like, you're working for yourself. Were you design-oriented, product-oriented, engineering? Like, where, where, where were you coming from? Advertising? Design and digital has been kind of a thread that's run through everything. But I spent my 20s owning a restaurant and nightclub, being president of a sports members club, working at World Cups. Throughout all of that, having ownership in a digital agency and working for working for companies, but back we're talking about Web 1.0 or Web mm-hmm. 1.5. So, so, so the point is, that I've I've always had a deep empathy and passion for design and engineering and understand its people and the processes, and that's mm-hmm. informed everything. So, yeah, like, I used to have a bar, and uh, in Japan, quite a big bar, and uh, my staff wouldn't let me behind the counter because it breaks down the flow of, sure. of a highly functioning bar. And it's the same kind of thing when it came to a studio or an agency. Like, of course, I'm not going to go near a Wacom tablet. No, uh, no, but, we're, but, we're, uh, we're not allowed to touch yeah, any. Yeah. I, I don't even use a computer anymore. Yeah. No, it's, it's it, yeah. shameful. Exactly, exactly. This is very real, though. Yeah. Diving yeah. in like that, it can yeah, be very yeah. damaging. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's, it, it, was, it was useful as a lens, because I, I think one of the problems the industry has is that the people representing the industry and interfacing with partners or brands or clients, they don't actually have a deep empathy and understanding for creativity. And so you were out selling the work? In, in essence, yeah, translating what we, what, you know, what us two did in, in the market at a time when things were changing in the market as well. Is that when you sort of buckled down and defined like we're a digital product studio? I'd say, I'd say 
one of our responsibilities at us too, which had always been in this field of user interface design, which a decade ago, no one had heard of and mobile, no one cared about the fact you're in mobile parties a decade ago and you're working with phone manufacturers like Sony Ericsson on 480 by 320 screens. This is pre-iPhone. And suddenly when the iPhone came out, then everyone did understand what user interface design was and what good user experience was and the screens started to proliferate. So us two had always been in this space that, that it's now very popular, but it was way before it was popular. Um, so the world and the industry happened around us two in many ways and what, what we were all doing there, um, which comes into it. I mean, you need a great amount of fortune to have any degree of success, I think. So it wasn't that we went to that space, you know, and I say we, cause I'm no longer at us two. I, I left uh, early 2017. Um, but us two was in that space and, and the industry kind of blew up around us. We should touch on this. Like, are there pure sales quote unquote people at us two? Yeah. I mean, I've been involved in the business for a year and a half now, but yes, they have, they have business development people and salespeople. Right. right? I think the, the core of my belief representing, you know, us two's kind of commercial side was that the, the work uh, and the kind of work that the studio wants to do is communicated properly and the terms under which it's done are communicated properly. And uh, when when those things break apart, then you can lead to very unhealthy outcomes for, for studios, for the people doing the work, and ultimately for the partners in their work, the clients. You've got a more sort of spiritual and cosmic aspect to you. We're sort of crab apples, but I think we all end up in all rel- the same. relatively similar yeah, yeah. places. I'm curious. So I can tell you with us, we go in and we kind of, we're working on this, but sometimes we're just delivering bad news to people. Hmm. Like just, hey, that's actually going to be hard and expensive. I, I hate to say it because I can see how optimistic and enthusiastic you are. But building things is really hard and it's going to take a lot of time. And that's actually been very effective for us. I guess very much who Rich and I are. And I, I, you know, for me, the first couple of years, it's been really hard to deliver the bad news. I've gotten better at it. It's mm. advice. So how, when you go in, it seems like you're, I, I get the sense that you're able to get people kind of aligned and feeling in a positive way towards the engagement, as opposed to Rich and I, who get people seeing risks. Yeah. yeah, it sounds much healthier the way he does it, Paul. Yeah, but the thing is, I, I think we're talking about exactly the same thing. You are coming in and being honest, giving your authentic perspective from your from from what you understand of of the work, and th- that is authentic and that creates resonance. If you were going to sell them something that they didn't need, or build their shitty brief, mm-hmm. uh, or help build their bad idea because you're going to make money you're not going to get very far in, in, in business. That relationship won't last. So we're talking about exactly the same thing. I've just, I've just uh, kind of uh, become a little bit abstract about kind of simplifying it. So it's, it's the same thing. You were honest. And funnily enough, I, you know, I came to New York six years ago to set up the Us2 studio here. And the thing that helped us uh, really get traction in the US was authenticity and calling bullshit on the swathes of bullshit that is in this market. You and know, it sounds like you do the same thing. But you know what makes me very paranoid? I'm very aware of this myself, too. There's like an old showbiz statement, which is the only thing you can't fake is, is sincerity. And once you got that, you're good to go. Like, mm. and it's just sort of, I worry about that. Because I think that you're right. I think that you have to be real in that room where people get very paranoid. Yeah. But you're competing against people who are even better at being real and more authentic in a slightly abstract way. Like, it's very, it's very tricky. Yeah, I agree. Look, advertising and marketing people are the best salespeople in the world. They de- almost develop the, the modern art. Right. But the point for me has always been that whatever heaps of bullshit is sold, unless they fulfill that, eventually that bridge will burn with that mm-hmm. partner. And you, there's enough people out there in the city and in this country and in the market who've had been sold 
wonderful things and being disappointed. So for me, the only place to be is real. And in a world of perfect information, which we don't live in, then you will find your place and you'll find that work. You know, you know us two came to the U.S., six years ago, unknown, you know, this is pre-Monument Valley. And we had to do the job of getting up on radar, competing against whatever, huge RGA, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're kind of nobodies. But what cut through was just a real honest honesty about the way things should be done, the passion for the craft, and just being willing to be really honest about bullshit. There's a degree where some sales and BD came into it because I'd go into a meeting planting the five C's I wanted to leave with the partner or the client to reflect on when they were about to have the next meeting or they had the meeting before with a super glitzy agency who'd spent all weekend doing comps mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, presenting the vision for a product, which a, I found super arrogant. And I, one of my things I'd say is look, it would be very arrogant for us to come here and tell you about your product. You are the experts on your users. You're the experts in your product. So I'm not going to come back here in a week or over the weekend with a vision for your product because it's rude. It's kind of arrogant and rude. Our expertise is working with you and deploying our processes to get to a better place. You say that, and it's completely true, but then they're going to reflect on this this super polished bullshit that they've just been presented by an agency who's done very superficial work. So for me, yes, there's a degree of sales, if you want to call it, but it's true. Even in the honesty, you're actually doing the job of sales. But there's a beautiful thing you just described, which is critical to sales, yeah. which is kicking the legs out from underneath all of the other people pitching. Uh, by your own process. That's a big part yeah, of it. It is. And and you just you don't have the guns to go fight, you know, 12 yeah. people getting deployed by RGA to make a bunch of fancy looking stuff yeah. as part of a pitch, right? You just don't have it. And mm. all you can try to do and we do this is just try to connect with the people and say I want to internalize your problems and the thing that's in front of you. Human beings we, we sense inauthenticity. Really, really easy. So the only way to be is to be honest and real. There's a big theme here for you, which is sort of protecting the company, protecting the team while you're selling. Yeah. So you go, you talk to someone, you say, I think that we could really help you here. Yeah. But how do you protect the team? Well, if, for starters, you take the team. Okay. <laughs> and you build the response out with the team. Mm-hmm. You know, I always saw a job of business development is there to represent the interests of the the, the people delivering the expertise. Now, with a healthy dose of sanity of like, yeah, it'd be great to do a three-month global research study, but let's let's make that two weeks and use <laughs> and use use, Ama- use Amazon vouchers and Facebook and Typeform. There is an enormous hunger for research in <laughs> yeah, our world. There, yeah. there is, but it's, it's, it's those examples. You're just tempering that, you yeah. know, and, and trying to create the healthy balance between the two, um, and and then I think then I think it works. And and again, that's the for me the only way you you, you should ever do it. You know, especially if you don't know what it takes in terms of engineering or integration right, or in right. terms of design, I, it, it's, it really pisses me off. And it's one of, the, one of the reasons that the ad and marketing industry has very unhealthy working hours because work is missold, which means that people have to do 60 to 80 hour working weeks. Um, if we went French and made a law that the people selling the business had to do the same hours as, the, as their counterparts on the team delivering, I think that would change pretty quick. You know, our people work normal weeks and most people don't believe us. Yeah, like, it's great. Yeah. Because, because you have sold the work correctly. Right. But right. I mean, people seeing adults who we'd love to like apply here. Yeah. Won't apply because they're like agency. I can't do it. Yeah. I can't yeah. do it. Yeah. It's Fr- I'll fry out. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, look, the, 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 the perception of this space, there's definitely a contagion effect from, from the worst practices in the industry. Why has that happened? Do you think? 
You know, it's one thing I wrote about in State of the Nation 2020. Where, um, where can people find that, by the oh, way? It's on, it's on Medium. And, and there are two pieces. I wrote one in 2016, which, which was about the digital industry. And that's where we coined this phrase, digital product studio, to mm-hmm. differentiate. Thank, um, thank you. That was very convenient pleasure. for Pleasure. Yeah. Language is important. Yeah. And, 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 and so that the people in that space, and I don't think us two is the only one in that space, people focused purely on digital products and services mm-hmm. rather than campaigns and marketing. Mm-hmm. And they were also doing work to start their own ideas up and they're also doing work to invest a little bit. So I think formalizing the model of digital product studio and writing about it gave a lot of us a construct, a parlance around which we could all, you know, hold our hands. And that meant that we as people running studios, the talent who wanted to work at the studios and the, the partners and clients who wanted to work with them could understand what that was. And I think that's why it was important. That, that it was helped coined, it, mm-hmm. we helped coin it. And that was in, that was 2016. It was, it, that was really about us two's journey of the last, you know, six years, looking at the industry environment, the assimilation, I call it, when Accenture started buying everyone. And if you like Star Trek and the Borg, fundamentally, however you want to look at it in terms of consolidation, in terms of commoditization of price, um, the, the core of it all is a breakdown of trust between agencies and clients mm-hmm. because of missold work. Because too many times engagements had begun and what was promised wasn't delivered. It, maybe they weren't even capable of delivering it. And that was one of the missteps of the ad and marketing industry of like pretending to do digital product work by just kind of basically redressing case studies. In fact, rather than building product teams and product processes and getting away from the creative director model top down and going bottom up. I almost have empathy for them though, because building product is a disaster. It's really hard. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. And it tends to fail. And so the things you have to do to cut risk are absolutely the opposite of the things you want to do to sell services. It's, it's, it's a challenge, but I completely surmountable. And and I've had the experience of agreeing, you know, terms with, with, some fantastic companies um, based on based on that, but it's hard. And it definitely, if you're faking it, you're gonna you're gonna come a cropper in a big way pretty fast. And I think that's what's happened and burnt loads of bridges and between agencies and clients. Rich Ziadi, let's just Wait, interrupt our podcast for a second. Yeah. My name is Paul Ford. I am the CEO of Postlight. My name is Rich Ziadi. I am the president of Postlight. Now, we're having a conversation with the person who coined the term digital product studio. What's Postlight, Rich? Well, Postlight will go after a product vision, thus making us a product studio. But beyond that, we're a collection of just really talented designers, engineers, product leaders that drive an effort forward. And the thing is, it's beyond a well, product. Let's put it in quotes for a second. It doesn't just mean an app. It could be anything. Uh, it could be your next generation enterprise thing or whatever. That's that's Postlight. That's right. You come to us and we, we get it done. You need, we do it you, well. You come to us and you say, I have 500 trillion customers. And I need 600 trillion. <laughs> you come to us and you say, <laughs> our design is garbage across our 132 global websites. In 78 languages. And we need our mobile strategy to be better. You say, I want to do something serious with Alexa skills and reinsurance. Postlight. 
<laughs> well, let's be Alexa, real. Alexa, please uh, quote my insurance portfolio. Honestly, let's be real. If that showed up at the door, we'd have a big smile on our face. <laughs> if somebody said, hey, guys, do you want to do something with insurance and Alexa skills? We'd be like, hell yeah. Oh, yeah. That's who we are. We're not ashamed to admit it. We like the big, sticky, global capitalism platform problems because it's how we understand the world. So if you need us, hello at postlight.com. Okay, that's the end of our ad. So what is the state of this business right now? Like some of the factors in play are the commoditization of creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, that because of the breakdown of trust, more work is going in-house. Because more work is in-house, there's less work out there. There are just the amount, same amount of agencies competing for the same work. They're being driven down on price. That's a big factor. Uh, I also look at the, it's not really a word, but procurementization of creativity that you increasingly less negotiate with someone who's on the, the, you know, the creative side, but you're working with a procurement department who will take your call and then a call with, you know, a photocopy leasing company, the next call. And they have a checklist and say, oh, we pay $160 an hour for this. And, and you're 250 And that's also a problem. And then of course, the, the mere fact that we tend to sell creativity by units of time, be it days, weeks, months, um, is also allowing for the commoditization of it. You know, it, it, the homogenization of the vast, uh, broad array of creativity to be sold like sausage meat at market. And we've, we've screwed ourselves in that process. All right, Rich, that's it then. We're done. Oh, we're not done yet because there's a, there's a, there is a message of hope. <laughs> nah, let's just call it. Let's do it. Shut, yeah. Let's shut down the podcast, yeah. shut down the company. I, honestly, I mean, why it's not? It's very dire. Yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah, I mean, we'll get better some, turn a corner, Jules. We'll get some money for this equipment, though. <laughs> that's true. What do you think this laptop's worth? Yeah. Well, look, I, I, th- I think the, the point of it isn't, isn't kind of fear-mongering. It's just reality-mongering. And if you draw all these things out, and, you know, if you look at the agency model in itself, like mm-hmm. I've seen you know, what used to be in, in my earlier years, like a very profitable business, and you could do experiments, you could hire more people than you needed, you could try lots of things. That was a completely different environment for creators coming into the industry because it was more of a playground, a creative playground where mm-hmm. we could develop. That is no longer there. Um, you've got, um, tech companies provide a compelling alternative for creatives and people increasingly going tech side for better salaries and different sure. conditions. Go and to on, Google, on, go on, to Facebook. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. That's, that's another factor. So for me, all it really means is, and so what it says, the agency model is now spitting out single digit profits and, you know, it's some big, big shops in, in New York alone are losing lots and lots of money, losing people and losing money. Which traditionally, I mean, it's for people listening, like that's unusual. Like it used to be the reason you do this yeah, business. Yeah, 20, 30% margins. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Now it's single digit. Yeah. I think like one thing I always say, there are more good projects than there are good studios, sure. good agencies. So in a world of perfect information in which we don't live, you will, if you're really truly great, if you're in the top 10%, you're going to be fine. If you're in the bottom 70 it's coming for you. So the point of all of this isn't to like, say, pack your gags and go home. It just, for me, means we should really be thinking about the situation we're in as individuals, as people who run businesses in this industry, about the business of creativity and, and begin to explore new terms and new paradigms with which we can do our work. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what I've been doing for the last few years, but more focused in the last year. And, 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 and you have a new enterprise now, correct? Yeah, I just kicked off a studio called Factory. But it's there. It's missing a few vowels. Yeah, well, yeah. vowels are expensive. Yeah, I don't know if you've found, like, you know, expensive. the domain name becomes like, you know, no, $30,000, $40,000, $50,000. It's like every vowel is 
fifteen thousand dollars. Exactly. More. Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, but but the notion for me is something of trying to just as happened with digital product studio is to to define some language around which we can all gather and build new expectations between each other, talent and and capital in this case. So I, I'm pushing something called creative capital. You can raise venture capital or you can raise creative capital. So for me, creative capital is a subset of uh, sweat equity. Mm-hmm. What you do and what I'm capable of doing, teams I build are capable of doing, is uh, making a pivot, pivotal impact upon a business, on the fortunes of a company. The right advice from the right advisors at the right time can be make or break for a company. At that grade and quality, I believe it's a fungible asset, which means we can trade that in return for equity. Because the island prison we've lived on for decades has been been paid for time. That's allowed us to be commoditized mm-hmm. and you know compared in the wrong way. When and, you say we paid for time, you mean what? Well, I just think it's, it's, the do, it's the dominant model of creativity largely is that you're buying someone's time, even the legal profession yeah. and others, you're paying for someone's time. Mm-hmm. Whereas the fact is, you know, let's say you, you spent an hour with the founder of Giphy, Alex, mm-hmm. um, that would probably be worth, you know, six months with McKinsey. You know, and, and, and the fact is we need to break this relationship between time and consider, consider expertise as the asset. Yep. And, and I believe we need to build new models that allow us to transact that expertise, to let us capture some of the upside, mm-hmm. which is the potential impact we can have sharing in that. And to do that, I believe we in the creative class, what we need to do is build half of the bridge towards the world of capital. Because I think the venture is it where we're sharing the upsides and the risk uh, is where one of the avenues we can explore to get off the island prison of being paid for time. So we need to understand how angels work, how VCs work, how investors work, how pension funds work and everyone else. And we need to understand their language, their business models, build relationships and understanding so that we can build and forge these new models that where there's a, it's, it's not a zero sum game. It's a game in which we can all win. What does this company do to enable that? I'm looking to help define a model. So firstly, it's called Factory, but it is a creative capital studio. So in essence, the digital product studio, we all know what that is now. The creative capital studio is in essence, the abstraction of Factory, which is it's a group of experts who are funded in their work. The operational costs of the studio are met. And we go out and we work with startups in the field, whatever the stack is, but our stack is product, design, engineering, ways of working. It's people and culture, and it's also recruitment and it's organizational design. And, and that's your stack. You go out and you build a team of experts to transact equity in return for that. Your clients or customers or partners are startups who need that help at the right stage, but they're also VC firms because you, in essence, are de-risking their portfolio companies because you're, you're improving not only the product, but also putting the processes and systems in place to help that startup get ready for scale. When it comes to design patterns, DevOps, design ops, culture, all that, all that work is really foundational and, and will allow them to uh, scale with less risk because all you're doing is really reducing risk because startups are quite risky. Does this mean you can avoid sales and just sort of have relationships with VC firms? You don't really always want to be sent in by the VC firm because mm-hmm. you're probably viewed quite suspiciously by the startup. But for me, there's an opportunity to work with both parties um, and be of benefit to both. Um, but yeah, it's, it's still going to be going out there, resonating, meeting people, mm-hmm. finding people who want 
you to work with them because ultimately you will become an investor by virtue of doing that work. Are you taking equity? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. You, you take you're, money? You're, you're taking equity. Okay, for, so for me, for me, skin's in the game. Yeah, skin's in the game. The whole thing's built upon that. You know, we don't always, I mean, we've we're talked about this. We're kind of wired this way anyway yeah. because yeah. we're not wholly driven by time We like to efforts. deliver the whole project for a fee. Yeah. yeah. And uh, which gives you a lot more control and it's not the same as taking equity obviously but you feel invested in a different way when you're like i gotta get this done to these specifications Mm. like it's one of these things one of the things we say is look we're not going to get the whole spec into this exhibit in a contract that's not real right and when people say okay are you going to give me the whole thing if you charge me 100 bucks we say look this is the spirit of the thing definition is going to take hold as we go things will fall off things will come on we don't know exactly what it looks like, but we, this is the direction. This is the mandate. Yeah, right? know, this comes up a lot too uh, when we talk about the business, but Rich was a lawyer. So there's a comfort with that ambiguity in the contract because like I live in fear of yeah. lawyers. I live in fear that something's going to happen. For Rich, he's like, hey, you know, we're going to just, we're going to have the best relationship possible. And then we're going to, we're going to make sure that there's some, some protection here. Which relies on trust. Yeah. Which relies yeah. on trust. One yeah. of the things we tell people straight up is um look this may take an extra month mm. we're fine with that like if we're all in agreement that the better thing will happen an extra month out we're going to want to be associated with that success we're not going to say oh time's up this is your thing we're going to hold like the aim here is alignment and i think yeah. this is a lot of what you're talking about which is look i fail if you fail here like that's where we want to go truly yeah um and a lot of times look they're hesitant it's like well you're not where i am you know, yep. you're, I'm hiring you. I'm yeah. playing a platform game at my enterprise company. I'm sinking to the lava if this doesn't work. Right. <laughs> exactly, right. yeah. exactly. Um, so what you're suggesting is, like, we're kind of tiptoeing away from the old model. You've just taken the leap. Well, yeah, I mean... You've it, just said, the hell with money. It's building an ideal. <laughs> In essence, yeah, but I mean, what I'd say is... Is exploring a complete alignment of incentives between yeah, absolutely everyone. Yeah, you've got extreme everyone. alignment. Yeah, so that's you, your. You, that's you, by you, the way, you, is your new company. Extreme there. alignment. Extreme alignment. Yeah. It's like a yoga studio, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, but look, you, you, you've for me, it's it's exploring that. If what if we were liberated, you know, from I, you know, I've done what you know, the same as you. I've experienced the same tensions, looking at the pipeline. What's the probability of that in three months? How can we pay salaries and whatever you know, whatever part of the journey? How much energy you spend just keeping that in your mind. And then secondly, how much of your decisions are short term rather than strategic. Mm -hmm. And for me, the the necessity of making this leap is to go out and demonstrate that there are these models, that they're viable and do everything open source, publish all the contracts, write as you and share as you are doing it. So you're learning, invite other people to do the same. So we can almost create a new field of a field of knowledge and experience in this space to make it really fucking normal. So that in 10 years, there's a normal menu of work that when you want to work with Nike, whoever you're going to say, right, cool. Do you want to do paid for time? Or do you want to do fixed costs or retainer? Or do you want to do creative capital? Or do you want to do, you know, JV? Until we normalize this stuff, it's never going to get processed in the compliance, uh, so the, the procurement departments of corporates. So the only space I believe that we can forge these new models are with the pragmatic startups. 
Now we do that and we do it right and we demonstrate it's viable. I guarantee you, if we make that the norm, it will come back around to enterprise, but we're not going to do it with enterprise. I mean, you've probably tried it. You know, you have a really excited partner you're working with, a, a big company, a big like global brand. And you think, well, we could do JV here and we'll have 5% and a profit share. And it eventually gets to like the five floors of lawyers and like, what the fuck are you talking about? I don't have any boxes for that. No, it's not happening. So for me, this has to be done with startups and it has, it has, that's, of course that's happened, right? Yeah, yeah. They can't yeah, tolerate the actual risk. Yeah. I mean, acquisition yeah. is where they feel most comfortable. Like, yeah, yeah. Can we buy a thing and destroy you? Yeah. And, <laughs> but I truly believe the reason I'm pursuing this model and doing it in its purest form and focusing on startups is because I believe all the deals can be done there and we can begin to normalize it so that, and, and again, I haven't made this stuff up. Red Antler have done work in return for equity. They did Casper's branding. Mm-hmm. And, and the point is, the more we normalize it, the more we share everything we can do, the contracts and the way it works. I believe in a decade, we're gonna have a different landscape as the creative class in interfacing with enterprise, not just with startups. But it's not gonna happen if you try and do it with- But let's, let's, yeah. let's dive into this. Let me, yeah. let me be pessimistic for a second. Mm. So uh, the world's gone the way you're trying to get it to go. And now I'm talking to Nike. Mm. They want to go with us. Yep. Right. And you say, well, we're going to, this is a creative capital contract. What does that look like? How am I doing work for Nike in return for creative capital? I mean, the, the concept I'm, I'd look at is doing SPV, special purpose vehicle, the, an entity, a separate corporate entity that's majority owned by the client that you own a minority in. Uh, either of you could have options on it. You could vest equity in it based on certain milestones. And you build the product or whatever the service is, and you get a certain amount of traction, and you decide to whether you want to continue to invest or not. So okay, I think there are lots I, of- I want to redesign the Nike training app. I, I want just, a new experience. Yeah. And I, I, I don't, that's not a business. I just felt it's 500 lawyers exploding. <laughs> what, the, just, the, the, yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but we got to normalize this shit. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the language, the parlance, that's stuff that we have to learn so that, so that we can speak their language. You know, I, I've, I've, yeah. you know, when I, I've been That's spending, how you get them there. Yeah. I spent, yeah. I've spent more time with like VCs and, and people in the PVC space than I have in the last. Well, see, VCs are going to love this because it, it, it creates a market around an entity that doesn't fully exist yet, right? Like, or that's hard to articulate. So they're like, let's get in there and figure out how to arbitrage over creative capital. Yeah, only because it has pivotal impact in the companies right. that they invest and it sure. de-risks the companies that invest. And we haven't created a marketplace or a vehicle that can align the incentives of the very best talent in the industry to leverage that collective talent to impact those startups. And the sooner we learn and the sooner we build these relationships and speak the language, the sooner that will fucking happen. Uh, so, so this is the, the model is name it, make a market, prove it's real. Yep. And then the rest of the enterprise, as it always does, hmm. will see it and yep. go, oh, that's working. We should do that so we don't get left too far behind. Yeah, I, I, I believe that we in the creative class uh, should be exploring the intersection of creativity and capital. Because I believe that's one of the parts that will get us away from the dying, the supernova that's taking place in the kind of the regular kind of consultancy industry. And that, that's that's why I think this stuff's so important. All right, so we don't have to shut the company down. No, after not right. yet. You got, not you yet. Got, this is the thing. We're heading into an age where the only difference between us and machine uh, is human creativity. So we are best placed out of nearly any, any industry, certainly long haul truck drivers, to create leverage in what we do and to have impact. So it's important right now that we start to think about what models we can build 
in that new world where our creativity is basically the only USP. And so the beginning doom and gloom, this is happening. Like it just, for me, just means water in the face and wake up. Like let's w- figure some new shit out. So Factory is a creative capital studio. Yeah. And I, ho- I hope in years, that's common partners. I hope someone, I, you know, as I said, we're publishing everything we're learning, all the relationships we're building, the knowledge we're going, we're, we're, we're picking up and we're sharing it. And if someone takes the model and copies it and iterates on it, it's fucking fantastic. No, it's definitely, I mean, as you're talking, I'm a very suspicious person, but there's that, that zone of like, yeah, this is probably the future. Okay. I can see <laughs> it. You know, every now and then I'll see a YouTube video. And I'll be like, oh, there's a kid singing in a car and they're, they're adding a lot of voice effects. Yeah, we're going to see that a whole lot. Yeah, like it, yeah. This just sort of feels like, yeah, all right, I get it. Yeah. I get it. I see it. Um, all right. So we need to go. Is uh, Factory up and running just to wind It up? is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It, it, it launched with the publication of State of the Nation 2020 as an open source project. So two ways of launching. You can do a big banner. Here are five partners and new mm-hmm. clients we're working with. And here's a big piece, you know, in whatever tech crunch or fast company, whatever. Or you go, look, this is the plan. This is what we're doing. This is the intent. Here's the blueprint. This is day one. And that's how Factory has been launched. And in essence, with any kind of new model, you're testing a series of theses. I pronounce that very carefully. Mm-hmm. Um, you're testing a series of theses, which is number one, can you assemble and incentivize a, a pool of creative talent, of top grade creative talent? Number one, does the model work? Two, can you develop a stack, an offering that would warrant a um, entrepreneur of an early stage technology company to give up equity in return for those services too. Three, a really fucking interesting one to me is what is what leverage is there in creativity, i.e. you go out with a million dollar checks, you're going to write two half a million dollar checks to startups. And let's say all early stage startups are $7.5 million pre-money valuation. And you're going to go cut two checks. You've just purchased $1 million of early stage equity in startups, uh, um, seed stage, let's say. Um, however, if you give it to your creative capital studio, we go out and do our work. I believe we can capture $1.25 or $1.5 million worth of, of seed stage capital because I believe there's leverage and creativity. And that becomes really fucking interesting for investors, for us to demonstrate that we can do more with that money than you investing it directly because we can negotiate in different terms. Fourth um, is that if money is commoditized, which is oxymoronic, if capital is commoditized, you know, the SoftBank Vision Fund is billions, Andreessen Horowitz are raising $10 billion funds, then the only way that we get into deal flow, get to work with the best starts, it's most interesting prospects, isn't by raising a $50 million fund, because who gives a shit about another 20 or $50 million fund? No, it's, it's in assembling that team and delivering a really compelling suite of services. That means you get in on deals, despite there being people like, waiting outside, trying to throw money at this thing. Again, so we, it means also we can tap into deal flow that, that you wouldn't normally get if you just decide to start a fund and become a VC. These are all theses being tested. And, you know, the whole thing's open source. You can follow it, you know, on, on the Medium, on Factory's Medium or, or my, you know, Twitter or Medium um, pages as well. So, do you, I mean, for me, I, I'm super excited because I think we can build a new way for the creative class to interface with, with a new world. All right. I <laughs> wow. mean, what we're doing is bullshit, Paul. Yeah, no, maybe we do need to shut the company yeah. down. I'm just going to get a food truck. I'm not going to come up. With this. I'm down. No, I know. What are we going to do? Well, it'll be Irish Lebanese. That's the, <laughs> That's yeah. the theme. But maybe it's, isn't it exciting what we can all do? Like, yeah, we I can mean, do this. Credit, uh, it's exciting and it's also. I mean, it's one big experiment, right? Yeah. I, mean, I think that's yeah. fun too, right? What's to design? Just try it, right? What is creativity? Designing a, What's a new... creativity other than that? Right. I think we're a little jealous. I'm a little jealous. Yeah. I think it'd be I mean, really. I'm going to go back to my pipeline. I'm it's not okay. Gonna... I, I brought some laptops. <laughs> I brought some laptop stickers. So that should probably <laughs> okay, make great. everything okay. All right. Well, thank you for coming on.
I loved it. I, I, I love I love exchanging thoughts and ideas, and I really appreciate the back and forth. Of course. <laughs> you know, Paul, it, it's just not that the line's not that straight. There are different ways to not just tweak your model or business model, but to just you know revisit how the whole thing works. And we've kind of done that to an extent. But what he's talking about is a whole other game. You know, we're look. We're a younger company and we're reactive. So we're like, oh my God, digital product studio. Let's let's go with that because that makes sense. It's not an agency. What's fascinating about Jules is he goes away and he says, I'm going to figure out what to call these things. I'm going to create a language and a grammar around it. And then we're going to build on that. Like it's a very meta way of being. It's fun. That, and it's not reactive. It's, it's prescriptive. And he's actually trying it. He's didn't just write an essay. No, he's putting skin in the game. So, you know, more power to him. But if you need someone to build a product, yeah. not quite to if that you want to give us actual U.S. dollars. Yeah. <laughs> not, quite, not quite <laughs> to that point of like creative capital and equity. We're just not there yet. Jules yeah, is... Yeah, we still take money. Yeah, more, like I said, more power to him. But we're, we're, <laughs> we're going to... It's going to take us a minute. We're a little more conservative than maybe we thought we were. Okay. Uh, if you want to exchange services for money Postlight <laughs> is absolutely your shop and we'll build you something yeah. great hello at postlight.com is all you need to do have a great week everyone bye bye